0: Welcome Black Lives Matter Baptist Church. This is a place where black lives matter and latino lives matter, asian lives matter, filipino, middle eastern, african lives matter, and even pale faces because no matter who you are and no matter what you've done, you matter to God. And today we're starting a new series called Refresh. It's all about a new beginning in our spiritual lives. And we're gonna be looking at uh, the gospels and the record of John the Baptist and his life. It'll be a six episode series. We're gonna do three now and then three later. And the message today is entitled The Sound of Silence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around our sets and our computers and just focusing on the Word of God, focusing on worshiping you through music. And we know that uh, while we still have to do it this way, we, we know that uh, this is a temporary situation and we long for the full completion of these days so that we can return to the church and fellowship and we're so excited that, for us, it'll, it will be a new beginning. And we pray that that would uh, really have a significant impact on our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in 1967, Jim Morrison and the Doors released an album entitled Strange Days. And the lyrics of the title song certainly resonate with our current predicament. Strange days have found us, strange days have tracked us down. They're going to destroy our casual joys. Strange days have found us and through their strange hours we linger alone while we run from the day to a strange night of stone. Well, that definitely sums up 2020 so far. These have been strange days. And did I detect a reference to self-quarantine, we linger alone? What a strange year, but now there are signs of hope. we flatten flattened the curve, scientists are working on a cure, a vaccine, and tattoo parlors have opened. What else do we need? But will life ever be the same again? Will our lives re- be able to return to normal? And what about the church? It's been months since we've had the opportunity to obey the Bible's command, to not give up meeting together, as it says in Hebrews 10, 24. That's why our Zoom meetings have been so important. So what will it be like when our Sunday services resume? Well, obviously at first we'll all be sitting there in masks. We won't be allowed to sing, but maybe we can hum and we won't be allowed to dance, but that's no problem for Baptists because Baptists don't dance, they, they kind of sway. But after a while, after we're all immunized, we'll be able, will we be able to really pick up where we left off before we were so rudely interrupted? Will our attendance display the effect of diminishing returns? Jesus promised in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. But what about the coronavirus? How many churches will be able to continue strong after this prolonged shutdown? Now of course we know the church has survived much worse than this over the centuries. But in our current culture, the church is already considered irrelevant by most people. And many believers don't even bother to attend. So will this closure give them closure on a habit that was quite easy to break? Yeah, I used to go to church before the virus. And now there's an even greater problem. While we were all distracted by swerving around the potholes of this pandemic, we hit a massive sinkhole. All of a sudden, we find out that the Calgary City Council passed a bylaw that lawyers say could threaten our constitutional right of religious liberty and take away free speech. It's the kind of thing you hear about happening in China, but in Calgary? God keep our land glorious and free. Well, not exactly. These are strange days indeed. So are they going to be telling us which passages of the Bible we cannot preach from? Where are we? Is this Cuba? And of course, this is only the beginning, because the enemy is going to be emboldened and getting more aggressive. And what about the U.S. of A.? It's been hemorrhaging with all kinds of racial conflict. There's been police brutality and rioting. And now we have peaceful protests that have spread all around the world, Because black lives do matter. But it's getting very intense. We've got plagues, we've got persecution, we've got authoritarianism, we've got violent repressions. The Bible says in the end, men's love for one another will grow cold. And we seem to see that happening. So it makes me wonder if we're moving into the last days. But honestly, I have to admit, when it comes to prophecy, I am 80% right, 20% of the time. So there's a 90% chance that I'm wrong. But these are definitely strange days. So how is the church going to deal with all of this? Will it ever be the same again? Well, I hope not because we cannot go back to business as usual. We need a revival of courage and boldness and a deeper commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ because the church and its message are now more important than at any time in the past 70 years. And it could be that a lot of people who took the church for granted will have a renewed appreciation for the body of Christ that was bought with the blood of Christ They'll have a renewed love for the bride of Christ. Perhaps churches are going to enjoy a resurgence of interest because the Holy Spirit has been convicting backsliders and recruiting deserters. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was a time when the Good Shepherd left the 99 in quarantine to go retrieve the lost sheep. We don't know how all of this is going to affect our local churches. What we do know is that this is a great opportunity for those of us who have a habit of taking God seriously. Because we don't want to go back to business as usual. We don't want to just do the bare minimum because we're too busy. We don't want to go back to the plodding pace of three steps forward, two steps back. We don't want to keep wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. We want to cross the Jordan and claim the promises of God. Enough of the manna. We need milk and honey. And so as our society reboots, this is a great opportunity for believers to refresh their faith and reset their priorities to the manufacturer's specifications because we are on the threshold of a new beginning. And the Bible guides us through these times of transition and transformation. Because in the scriptures, we have a record of all the new beginnings God's people experienced from the time of Abraham right through the book of Acts. And in this series, we're gonna look at the most important one of all, at the events that define the boundary between the first covenant and the final covenant, between what we call the Old Testament and the new testament i mean you talk about a major upgrade we went from the law to grace as the book of hebrews explains in chapter 10 the law was only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins therefore when christ came into the world he said Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. I have come to do your will. And he sets aside the first to establish the second. You see, the old covenant pointed us in the right direction, but it could not enable us to reach that destination. We kept falling short. As Romans 3.23 points out, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Old Testament ends with the book that was written by that Italian prophet, Malachi, who sometimes is referred to as Malachi. And it provides an analysis of our failure to fulfill the terms of the first covenant. And that failure was most evident in their religion which is not surprising, because religion is no match for sin. At its best, religion is a heroic attempt to cure cancer by getting a gym membership. Exercise, of course, is healthy, but that's not going to solve the problem. We need something more than deep tissue, something that gets right to the root of the issue. Religion teaches us how to behave But sin shows us how to fake it. And religion is no match for sin. That's what Malachi was pointing out in chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. A son honors his father and a servant his master. I am a father, where is the honor due me? I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who despise my name. But you ask, how have we despised your name? You place defiled food on my altar. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try you, says the Lord Almighty. They were faking it. Their heart wasn't in it. They found all kinds of shortcuts. They were not taking God seriously. They were embezzling their faith, taking hefty commissions and giving God the leftovers. And that's just like us sometimes when we only offer God the spare change in our pockets or the spare moments at the end of an exhausting day. In verse 10, it says, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. That's interesting. God says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. Well, that's what's happened to us. Maybe there's a lesson for us in all of this. It sounds very familiar. You see, God deserves our best. He deserves filet mignon, but we give him pork and beans. They treated their local aldermen better than that. And so this Old Testament religion had run its course. It was time to reboot, time for a new beginning. But before he signed off, God made a promise and gave a warning. There was bad news and there was good news. Chapter 4, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. That's the bad news. The good news is, but for you who revere my name, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. And I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And then God put himself on mute. Which must have been very difficult because God loves keeping in touch loves interacting. He loves to listen to us. And of course, he has a lot to say. And when God speaks, his words are so powerful. When God says, let there be light, all of the cosmic chandeliers across the universe ignited at 27 million degrees Fahrenheit because they didn't use metric in those days. God's words are powerful, penetrating, probing to the dividing asunder of joints and marrow, soul and spirit, this is not something superficial. And something that probes us that deeply can be very distant. Some of the most terrifying and tragic times of history are the seasons of God's silence, which can sometimes extend for centuries. And Israel was now facing a period of deafening silence that would last some four Hundred years. Not one prophet appeared. Not one scripture was written. There was not one word. It was a total communications blackout. 400 years. That, that would be like 1620. That was the year the Mayflower landed at Plymouth with the pilgrims. 400 years. That was back in the Height of the Ottoman Empire, which still impacts us today. Because ever since then, we've been a lot more comfortable because we can sit now with our feet up. 400 years, around that time, a plague broke out in Italy. And 280,000 people died. 400 years without any divine interventions. So what happened? Well, life went on. And the Apocrypha describes the historical events of that era. These were the days of Antiochus Epiphanes and Judas Maccabeus. You don't hear names like that anymore. And it was in that silence that very distinct groups emerged. Like the Pharisees, the radical religious right wing who decided to put the law on steroids until they had a rule for everything. But they were still cheating. They were faking it, so nothing had changed. Another group was the Sadducees. They were the left-wing liberals, power-hungry, politically motivated religious leaders who did not believe in the supernatural and dedicated themselves to laying up treasures on earth. Then there were the Herodians who wanted to be on the right side of history. So they became King Herod's fan club, and like parasites, they siphoned off his sponsorship. And then there were a group of hippies called the Essenes, who rejected the establishment and withdrew from the corruption of the world. They lived in the desert canyons and caves, and in their communes they pursued a simpler, more spiritual life while they waited for the apocalypse. They were the ones who copied the prophecy of Isaiah onto the Dead Sea Scrolls. But none of these groups had the answer. In fact, for most of them, calcification was setting in. They were getting stagnant. 400 years, that's when the Roman Empire began to spread across the civilized world and dominated Palestine. And then another group emerged called the Zealots. These were terrorist cells who wanted to punish the Romans for the blasphemy of defiling the promised land. So for 400 years, life went on and evolved, and it was survival of the fittest. And of course, for the devout Jews, they had their tradition, because what else do we have? Tradition is our default setting when we lose sight of God, when there is only silence. Not one word, but that didn't mean that God had given up or retired. On the contrary, his last word contained a promise. I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers and the warning, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse now the Jews still believe that promise so at Passover they have an extra place at the table for Elijah because God promised to send him or someone like him and so they've been waiting for 2,400 years which is impressive unfortunately it's unnecessary because 2,000 years ago Elijah 2.0 appeared and the silence was broken. And the interesting thing is that the first person to receive breaking news from heaven was an old priest named Zechariah. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says that Zechariah was upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. In other words, Zechariah wasn't cheating. He didn't fake it. Zechariah took God seriously. The Bible calls that the fear of the Lord. And for those who do that, there are all kinds of benefits. For example, Psalm chapter 25, verse 14 says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. One translation says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Well, God was about to confide in his old prophet, named Zechariah. You see, Zechariah not only took God seriously, he never became cynical because here he was in the temple preparing to worship God by burning incense, which was a symbol of thanksgiving, even though he personally had very little to be thankful for because he and his wife were unable to produce children. So this senior citizen could have been bitter And disappointed with God. But Zachariah's faith had not turned toxic. So here he was in the temple to offer up thanksgiving and praise. And this time it was his turn to go into the holy place. This was an opportunity that happened only once in a priest's lifetime. And in the holy place he would appear before the presence of God. Theoretically, that was the theology. But for the past four centuries, it was just a hollow ritual in an empty room until there was a breakthrough. Verse 11 of chapter 1 says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah.'" he bring back to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Did you notice that? His son John would go in the spirit and the power of Elijah and to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Where have we heard that before? That was the prophecy 400 years ago. Now it's finally going to be fulfilled. You are going to have a son. Really? Are you sure? I don't know about you, but I would have said, Are you kidding? you know what Zachariah said? He said, Are you kidding? Verse eighteen, Zechariah asked the angel, "How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I can't. How how can you believe something like this? This is incredible. Just think about what's happening here. Four hundred years of silence, and finally God speaks. And what cosmic decree does He issue? Well, it's it's just kind of a personal reminder." that even though he has not been speaking, he has been listening. Your prayer has been heard. God's first order of business is to answer prayer. So don't ever doubt that, even though it's been 40 years, and even though it seems like it's too late. Verse 19, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. So after 400 years, God finally speaks. And the only person who knows what he says can't tell anyone because he can't talk. Well, what about writing? Well, I'm not sure, but I think this punishment forbid any communications. And it wouldn't really matter because no one would believe this anyway. It must have been so frustrating for Zachariah. But then in the meantime, Gabriel also appeared to Mary, a close relative with an even more mind-boggling announcement about a virgin birth. You can imagine how, how these people had doubts. I mean, the science doesn't allow for this. The science is against it, and that's usually checkmate because for us mortals here on planet Earth, it's all about the science. But some of you know that science doesn't have all the answers. And if you're a believer, it's all about the scriptures, the word of God. And doubting his word can have some consequences, serious ones. So never stop believing. Keep the faith because God will fulfill his promises and science can't stop him. You see, when it comes to virgin births, the final score is God one, science zero. Verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. This is very unusual. You don't want to break with tradition. What else do we have? Verse 62. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. Strange days. Tradition was against it. Science was against it. But God was doing a new thing. And whenever God begins a new work, he often assigns new names. The name John means that God is gracious. And God's grace was about to be poured out as never before. The days of the law were finished. The age of grace had begun. God was going to pour out his grace, and Zachariah's son, John, would help open the floodgates. Verse 64 says, Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak, praising God. Could you imagine not being able to talk for nine months? What do you think you'd say after all that time? all the things that were bottled up inside, all of the opinions and ideas and insights and gossip. I mean, when that burst, what words would come out of your mouth? Elizabeth, I totally disagree with what you said three months ago. Immediately, it says, when his mouth was opened, he began to speak, praising God. Nothing else mattered. And Zechariah prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's what a new beginning looks like. People getting the knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the rising sun shining on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide their feet in the path of peace. And that's certainly what our world needs more now than ever before, that kind of peace. The last verse of this chapter says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So this would be a whole new beginning that would change the world in radical and righteous ways. And we can only pray that we also find ourselves at the threshold of a new beginning. When many hearts will turn children to their fathers, hearts turning and returning to their heavenly Father with respect and reverence, and that God will open the floodgates and pour out his grace. But remember the warning, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. You see, in these strange days, much is at stake. And that means no more faking it. We must start taking God seriously. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that even though our churches are closed, we know that you are at work. And we know that you can work in each of our lives We need to just be prepared to have you come and make the changes that you want to make within us so that we will be the people who will be able to prepare our society for the coming of the Lord, just as John did in his generation. Lord, show us how to do that. Make us new so that we can truly see a new beginning in our generation. We praise you, Lord, and thank you through Jesus Christ. Amen.